What you do for a living does not define who you are in life. Hey, welcome to Keep the Change, where each week we will hear from real people who have broken the chains of their past and accomplished extraordinary change in the present. Hey, all you Keep the Changers, welcome to Keep the Change for another week. And I'm so, so honored to have you here. Thank you for taking the time every week to join us. Most of the time, as you know, we have guests and I'm so inspired by our guests because they're folks many times that have great success in life, but maybe didn't always start that way. Maybe there was some struggle. Maybe there was something that happened to them, but they've overcome the pit to being at a place of peace. That's been kind of our theme in the show. But this week, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn. I have a question for you. What is something in your life that you've accomplished? Now, think about that. It could be the birth of your kids. It could be walking down the aisle with your bride. It could be opening up a business or making a sports team. Maybe it was when you hit the home run to win the game. Whatever it is, all of us, if we look back, have something probably that we can say, man, that's been an accomplishment. Now, I have to tell you that one of the accomplishments I've had is something that most people won't brag about, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. Because it really has been an accomplishment, but frankly, it's by the grace of God that this accomplishment has happened. And let me tell you what that is. On June 15th of 1985, you've heard my story probably, I walked into a rehab center. And when I walked into that rehab center, I weighed 150 pounds and I was using cocaine to the tune of about five grand a month. 30 days later, I graduated from that treatment center and Today, I can say that I haven't drank or used or done anything that would be considered a drug for 13,878 days, and that's 38 years of sobriety. I'm really proud of that, and I'm proud of the fact that I did what I had to do to stay sober. I I really, as we look back at it now, it was a lifestyle choice. You never think that you're going to or I never thought, let me put it in in my terms, I never thought that I was going to, or even could imagine 38 days of sobriety, 38 years of sobriety, I couldn't imagine 38 days. But I will tell you that I also hated the person that I was when I walked in there, and I was believing that I didn't have to be the same person I was going forward. I was believing that there was hope. I was believing that I could be I could have a life of success, of significance. I really believed that when I walked out of that treatment center. Ironically, when I walked out of that treatment center after 30 days, I went to a, a restaurant called the, uh, uh, in Monterey, California, and it was a, uh, called the Fish Market, is what it was called. I was trying to, I'm stumbling here with what the name of it was. And I ordered a lobster bisque in celebration of, getting through that 30 days. What I didn't realize was that they put a, a some kind of alcohol on top of the lobster bisque. I'm not sure if it was rum or vermouth or something, but it adds flavor to it. And I didn't know that. So I take, now get this, I'm 30 days out of the rehab center. I'm, I'm, I'm out of the rehab center after 30 days. And it's my first day out. And I take a sip of this soup, and the first thing I get is this alcohol in my mouth, which I I definitely, 100%, 
told myself I didn't want to use one day at a time. I just didn't. And I hated my disease when I walked out of there. And I knew I couldn't do the same things. I knew I had to get different friends. I knew I couldn't go to the same bars or any bars. I knew that I had to change everything about my lifestyle. And I, for 30 days, been inundated in classes and and understanding of what addiction was all about. And even understanding that I was an alcoholic. See, I walked into that treatment center knowing I had a cocaine problem, using cocaine to the tune of five grand a month. But what I didn't know was I was an alcoholic. Even though I drank every day, even though I wrecked six cars in high school, it was I was in denial. And in that moment that I took that soup and I took that bite and I tasted that alcohol, I had two choices. I could either swallow it and probably be back exactly where I was 30 days prior, or I could do what I did. And I spit it all over the table at this restaurant, all over the table. Took the bite and went boom, all over the table. <laughs> and the people that were with me just went, what? And I, I couldn't help it. I didn't want to taste that. And, you know, we have certain moments in our life that just determine how we're going to move forward, right? And that, as embarrassing as it was in front of family and friends, I knew that I had to do that because I didn't want that. I didn't want to swallow it. I didn't want to succumb just because I had people around me who knew me. I just spit on the table. And it was a it was a learning point. It was a it was a decision. It was a line in the sand. I'm not going to do this one day at a time. Now again, didn't know what happened at thirty over thirty eight year period of time, but I do know that throughout our life, every day, every moment, we have tests, don't we? And then those tests determine what we're going to do next. And I made the decision on a deep, deep level that I wanted to be a different person, hundred percent. So the result of that was, again, that I went to a lot of meetings right after that. As a matter of fact, I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I got a sponsor, and he was someone who was with me every step of the way. I would, he was my, my strong tower. He was the one that I, if I felt like drinking, I would call him. And he would always say this to me, Bart, you don't have to drink. And at first I thought, that's kind of weak. But the more he say it, the more I thought, no, I don't have to. I don't have to drink. If I got to the point where I really wanted to drink, or really wanted to use, I would take and walk it through. What would happen if I got to the other side of that? What would happen if I did take that drink? Well, I would take another one, and then another one, and then another one, and then I'd probably get in the car and drive because that's what I used to do. And I'd probably hit someone or kill someone. So I would take that scenario all the way through, and it scared me such that I said to myself, I can't do that. And I, frankly, I would walk myself through that scenario time and time and time and time again because I had urges time and time and time again. But like I said, I had somebody to, to confess in. You're only as sick as your secrets, right, folks? I had someone to confess in. I had someone to to call and say, hey, man, I need help. I had 
plenty of opportunities to go to meetings. I went to a lot of meetings. I told a lot of people and I was very vulnerable day after day after day after day. I had accountability partners that I would call and say, dude, I'm hurting. And they would walk me off the ledge, whatever that meant. And I did that over and over again. But I have to tell you, I picked up the mat and walked, as it says in the Bible. I did the work. I did the work. Now, the reason I tell you all this is because, again, June 15th, about six days ago from when this is being recorded, I was sober 38 years. And then yesterday, June 20th, another accomplishment happened. In about 2014, I had an opportunity to meet my wife, Mary. And Mary and I dated for a year. And I will tell you, she was the most incredible woman I'd ever met in my life. I knew that really, she might not have known that I knew, that she might not have known, I might not have told her, but I knew she was the one I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And the reason I probably didn't tell her was because I was scared. I'd done this before and I'd failed before, but I knew she was so special. In May of 2015, we got married. And when we got married, we went on our honeymoon, and we went to Nashville for our honeymoon. And we went to the Caleb Fan Awards in Nashville, Tennessee. And we got to see incredible artists. We're, we we were, were believers, and we loved the music. We got to have just this incredible weekend of listening to some of the best artists on the planet at the Grand Ole Opry. And I met someone, a young man by the name of Stephen Copeland. Stephen had written and ghostwritten a number of books. As a matter of fact, he's, I believe, around 15 books that Stephen's been part of, maybe even more. But cool dude, long hair. He's probably about 27 at the time. And I just really, really admired him. We, we, right away, we hit it off. And as we're talking, he says to me, you know, what's your story? What's going on? And I said, well, I'm married. I just got married. I've um, just celebrated. I'm coming up on, at that time, what would it have been? It was 2015, eight years ago. So I'm excited because I'm coming up on 30 years of sobriety. And he said, what? And I told him about my story of sobriety and the journey I'd been through from the brokenness to the peace of where I was at that time. And he said, man, that's a book. <laughs> and I laughed. I didn't take him seriously. And he said, I'm serious. He said, whenever you're ready to write that book, I want to help you with that. Three years later, I called him and we couldn't get together. Five years after that, I called him. Actually, it was 2020. And I sat down with him and we started collaborating on this book. And this book is my story of recovery. It's a story of brokenness. It's a story of the pit to the peace. It's a story of where I am today, adding significance in the world with my speaking and my training and my coaching. It's a story of complete transformation as a father, complete transformation as a husband, learning to love myself. And thus, by loving myself, I can love my wife in the way that she deserves to be loved. It's complete different person. 100%. I used to work for a, a guy named Steve Cornelius, a wonderful guy. He owns dealerships in Northern California and one in Southern California. Incredible soul. 
And Steve used to say to me, people can't change. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, they can't. Because when I was starting to sell cars with Steve, I was using cocaine at work. I was a drunk. I'd go out every night. I was a player. I was a narcissist. I was unfaithful. I was a pig. And then when I got sober, a lot of that changed. And I wasn't the same person as I was before. And any and the problem was when I got sober, I got free from drugs and alcohol, but I didn't get free from a lot of things like narcissism, unfaithfulness, womanizing, lying, all that stuff stuck around for a number of years. And yet where I am right now, as we speak today, I can tell you I have freedom from all of that. Today, I walk a path with Jesus by my side. Today, I'm a prayer warrior. Today, get this, get this, ridiculous. Today, I'm a ministry leader at a Celebrate Recovery, which is a 12-step program based around Christ's principles. Are you kidding? Today, my wife is my co-ministry leader, and she's as normal as it gets because of the fact that she wanted to support me on this path of recovery, support my recovery. She came along to be my co-leader and since then found some things that she wanted to work on and God put her in this as a co-leader and she's influencing women at a whole different level. I mean, she was already influencing women. Now she's influencing and mentoring women at a whole different level and she's jumped all in with celebrate recovery see with celebrate recovery you don't have to be a drug addict or an alcoholic matter of fact 30 percent of the people in celebrate recovery are drug addicts and alcoholics the rest of the people just have life issues they're dealing with life hurts habits and hang-ups and she's become my partner today get this this is just blows me away i love talking about today because i have a great life today i've got 10 kids and all of them have spouses on, on, we're blended. All of them have spouses almost. And 12 grandkids. We've got one coming. So we've got 11 and a quarter. 12 grandkids. Isn't that incredible? By the grace of God, this 150 pound weakling, five grand a month drug addict today has a coaching business where I've get to serve people, where I've get to, to, to be a person of influence in their lives, where I get to teach them how to be great leaders. Are you kidding me? Me? But for God, God has worked in my life, I'm telling you. And you know what's so fascinating about all this? That I didn't know who God was when I got sober. I just happened to be 10 years, 10 years sober, still dealing with all my narcissism and sexual integrity issues just a pig and one day i'm driving down the road and and i there's a road i drove down every day on a sunday and i see a bunch of nice cars at a church it was at um uh, a place called santa cruz bible and i thought oh those cars are cool but this place is fun i pulled in there went in i was a little bit late they were playing rock and roll christian music never heard it before in my life i sat in the back of the room away from anybody so nobody saw me and out came a pastor by the name of chip ingram who told this story it was based now i know based on romans 12 2. don't be conformed by the pattern of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what I need, a renewing of the mind. I need a change in my thinking. The stinking thinking is causing me to do behaviors that I hate. I hate it all. And it flipped. And in that moment, I became open to my heart to find out who Jesus was. A week later, I joined this thing called Celebrate Recovery that I told you about. I became a member of Celebrate Recovery. I got a sponsor for my sexual integrity issues, and I started working on myself. And I started to get some, so it took time, man. I'm telling you, I, my story is one of, I am a slow learner. <laughs> I'm a slow study. My mom used to tell me, she, and my mom was so loving, unbelievable, my mother. She passed at 97 four years ago this month. And she used to say, Bart, you're a late bloomer. And the reason I laughed at that was because she'd tell me that at 55. And she would say it like this, actually, Bart, you're going to be a late bloomer. Well, I better hurry up because I'm already 55. And, you know, the result of that was she was absolutely right. At a time when most people retire, I'm writing a book. Get this. Remember the book I told you that Stephen told me about that I should write? Well, in 2020, we started going at it. We started, I, I would tell Stephen what I wanted to put in the book, and he would, he would help me write it. I would, for hours, give him content, and he would help edit it for me. Hours and hours and hours. And today, guess what happened this week? Yesterday, June 20th, 2023, is, that was yesterday from the time I'm recording this. My book came up. Yes, my book. What is it? Is it a story of winning an Olympic gold medal? No. Is it a story of making the NBA? No. It's a story of brokenness in my addictions. It's a story of 38 years of sobriety and coming to the other side and having incredible family. It's a story of having sexual integrity issues and being a lousy husband and today being with the woman of my dreams. It's a story of being a narcissistic pig and today having an incredible family that loves me and I love them. It's a story, get this, of me with all my stupidity in, in relationships officiating two weddings. Last week, I officiated my son Dax's wedding. Are you kidding me? Me? But God, a year ago, I officiated my son Nick's wedding. You kidding me? But me, but God. A wretch like me, it's got to be Jesus. I'm telling you, look, am I a Jesus freak? Yes. <laughs> Do I believe in Jesus? Yes. I know it because I was broken and I don't have any reason to be here following Jesus because my parents weren't Christians. I found, Jesus found me at 38 years old. I did have grandparents that loved Jesus. And remember that picture of Jesus they had back in the day where people would have him in their homes? Everybody had the same picture, it seemed like. He stood over my bed at my grandparents' house. And I remember I'd look at him and, and, and I knew he was special, but I didn't know him. And yet what I do know is every night before I would go to bed, my grandparents would be on the couch reading their Bibles. 
Now, I didn't get it because it was too many these and those. The words were hard to understand. I didn't get it back then. But someone once said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's what happened when I was 38 years old. That's what happened when I started following. And the result is today, get this, I wrote a book. <laughs> I wrote a book that tells you about my story from broken, 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 just a jerk wrecking six cars in high school, a drug addict, a, a, just a, not a good person. To today where I get to lead other people in the recovery, where I get to lead them in leadership, company, people that lead companies, I get to help coach them on how to be a better leader. So let me tell you about this book in a little bit of time we got together. There's 12 chapters. And each chapter is a step of recovery. But each chapter tells a story of eh, my stupidity. But also each chapter tells a story of my recovery. See, my story is not the stupidity, but I had to go through stupidity to tell you about the story of recovery. And again, my story isn't one of a gold medal, but my story is the things I went through, I had to go through to get to where I am today. If you've ever been to a recovery meeting, you get it. Anytime there's a testimony, somebody up there will tell you how stupid and broken they were. Um, and sometimes it's not stupid. I was stupid. But some people come to a place of brokenness because they've just had horrific circumstances. Parents who were abusive, parents who locked them in the closet, parents who ran off. Whatever it was, some people had situations happen to them that were awful. I didn't. My circumstances, the thing that happened to me was my fault. It's the way I portrayed what happened to me and the way I reacted to it. It was my fault. Some people, it's not their fault. And yet they still got to the other side. And they still were able to keep the change and grow and, and blossom to incredible humans that help other people. So every chapter in this book is a chapter that has to do with recovery. And yet it also is a chapter that tells my story and a chapter that tells the victory and a chapter that talks about leadership and where each step applies to leadership at home or in the workplace. Let me read them to you, the steps, if you don't know what they are. This is every chapter in the book. This is this is every chapter in the book. There's 12 chapters, 12 different stories of stupid, 12 different stories of recoveries, 12 different stories of how to be a better leader. Step one, we admit it. That's a key word if we're going to become better humans. We admitted we are powerless over our addictions and our compulsive behaviors that our lives have become unmanageable. When a human being admits anything, that's when things start to change. Now, I say in my book, everybody's an addict. We're all addicted to something. Could be attention. It could be um, uh, uh, success, could be money, it could be drugs, alcohol, sex, it could be social media, it could be comparison. You get it. There's um, thousands of topics that you and I could be addicted to that are causing our life to be unmanageable. Think about it. If you're sitting there staring at Instagram all day, you're, you're powerless and your life's unmanageable because of that dopamine hit. And something about that, you're, it's causing, it's luring you in. We admit it. That's so powerful. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. See, what we know is that there's a higher power. And, and unless you're an agnostic or an atheist, 
But even I've had agnostics and atheists come up to me and say, Bart, will you pray for me? I don't know how to pray. And I will tell you that you and I, if we don't believe in something, we'll fall for anything. You might not believe in Jesus. You might believe in Buddha or Allah or something else. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe it because I've come face to face. I get it. I believe it. I believe it with my soul. You might not. That doesn't mean you can't grow. It doesn't mean you can't go to the next level in your life. Don't be silly. But you do have to believe in something greater in your, than yourself. So we can't do this on our own. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. You need a partner in this, accountability partners. You're only as sick as your secrets. You, we came to believe. Step three, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. Now, Celebrate Recovery believes God is Jesus. That's how they operate. If you don't believe that, don't go to a Celebrate Recovery. Go to an AA meeting. AA uses more generic, a grand overall designer, the universe. But we believe that we, we made a decision to turn our life over to the care of that higher power that could restore us. Step four. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I'm a DISC behavior consultant. I'm also a consultant in emotional intelligence. I'm looking into being a consultant in Enneagram. But all of these are behavior personality tests that tell us who we are. Tell us why we do what we do. They reveal to us scientifically our inner self, our personalities. Now get this. You and I get that the key to growing is to knowing ourselves, to being clear to ourselves, to knowing what we have to do to grow, to knowing our strengths and our weaknesses and our blind spots. If you don't get it, let me tell you, it's true. If you want to grow, if you want to maximize your potential, you've got to know your blind spots, your masks to grow. And what's good about personality tests as they help you grow. And I've said this before on this podcast, hit me up. If you're interested in really doing a personality assessment on yourself, hit me up at Bart at BartNolenberger.com and say, Bart, I want a personality test. 50 bucks. I'll do it for people that are on this podcast for 50 bucks. I'll, I'll send you the, the disc assessment. And then I'll also do a assessment with you. I'll walk, I'll walk you through it. Normally, it's $150. But because you're part of this podcast, I'll do it for you. It'll change how you see yourself. And I'll walk you through it so you have an understanding. A searching, fearless, moral inventory. We've got to know our inventory, just like a business does. Number five, we admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Dude, we got to spill it. We're only sick as our secrets. Let it go. Forgive ourselves. Admit to somebody. We all have something. Hey, man, I kicked the dog. Okay? Tell somebody. When we do that, it gives us freedom and peace and lightness. And I believe it blows out dis-ease when we're clean and true. When we get rid of that, the untruth, health can come in. Number six. 
we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of characters. character. <laughs> now, I get it. If you don't like God, this is hard for you right now. But I believe it in my soul that you know there's something greater. And if you're desperate and you're, you're just struggling, what have you got to lose? You know what the definition of insanity is, right? Doing the same thing over, over, over again and expecting different results. Brian, I had to. I just walked toward a God I didn't even know for 10 years, asking God for help. I didn't want any of my friends know. I didn't want them to know that I believed in God or I wanted help from a God, but things started happening. And one day I drove in that church. It wasn't a coincidence. There are no coincidences, folks. Everything that you've gone through in the past had to happen. It just had to happen for you to get to where you are today. And when you can accept the past exactly the way it is, it doesn't have to be your present, your future, but you can accept it that it happened and forgive yourself and give it to God. Oof. Step seven, we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. There's a prayer that I say every day on my knees, every day. And by the way, everything I'm telling you today ain't a secret. Everybody knows because <laughs> it's in my book. Everything I'm going over, all the stories that I've told you, everything I've told you, everything is in the book. Because what I believe is my telling my story in a humble way and my stupidity will help you. I believe it will save lives because I've got the courage to tell my story. Back to seven, we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Here's that prayer I say every day. My, my creator, I'm not willing that you should have all of me good and bad. I pray you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength, dear Lord, as I go out from here to do your bidding. Thy will be done. When you and I can live that way, it's not Bart's way. Bart didn't have anything to do with any of this. It's his way. That's when things start to change and you start to go toward your max capacity. I met Louis Giglio, a pastor at, a, at that Caleb Fan Awards, and I asked him, Louis, how do you get success? How did you become such a successful pastor and speaker and author and trainer? And he said, I stayed. I said, what do you mean? He said, you remember, you know who LeBron James is? He asked my wife that. She said, yeah, I know who he is. He could have played football. But he stayed in the thing that he was destined to do. And because of that, we all know he's one of the greatest that ever played. So what's that mean for you and me? Once we make that decision, once we do step one and admit we have to stay. That was that's how I got freedom by staying. I didn't deviate. I stayed. Stayed. It wasn't sexy. I just stayed every day, every time, without fail, no exception. Number eight. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Some people, you know, just list the people you've harmed. Get it on the table. Number nine, we made direct amends to such people 
whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. There could be people from your past where you have to just say, I'm sorry. Maybe there's people from your past that you have to say, I'm sorry, but they're not here anymore. Write them a letter. And then once you write that letter, maybe you burn the letter because you want closure with that. Number 10, we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted that. Today, when we get off this phone, I'm going to call my daughter who invited me to a Father's Day lunch on Sunday, of course, and we we're eating in, at a little restaurant on the Truckee River. Beautiful setting. And they forgot my, my order, but they didn't bring my order. And I kind of snapped at the waitress. And I thought about it today. I, and I remember, the reason I say this, I remember when I, said, when I said it, I snapped at her. I looked at my daughter and it was like your head snapped. She went, ugh. Because it brought her probably like PTSD from when I used to have tone and attitude when she was younger. But I want to apologize to her because I was wrong. I can't apologize to the waitress, but I can apologize to my daughter. And I need to do that. Preferably sooner than I am doing it, but I need to do that. When I'm wrong, I have to say I'm sorry. I'm wrong a lot, but I have to calm myself. I have to continually take my inventory. Number 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our contact with God. I hang out with God every single day for at least an hour. I pray to him. I write with him. I talk to him. I'm praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual experience as a result of all these steps, we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. This is the way I carry it to others. This is how I practice my principles and everything by the book, by the podcast, by ministry. This is my ministry now. This is where God's put me. Heck, I thought I was going to be Tony Robbins. I thought I was going to win a gold medal. None of that stuff came true, but I will tell you, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And so are you. No matter where you are, there you are. It's exactly where you're supposed to be. Hey, if you're struggling, then call me. I'd love to talk to you and help you and guide you. If you believe that this book will help you, go to keepthechangebook.org. It will be on the profile, keepthechangebook.org, and go ahead and click on it and get the book. I think it'll be a game changer for you. 12 chapters, stories of stupid and stories of victory, and stories of how you and I can get from that place of the pit to the peace. God bless you. Thank you for hanging out with me today, everybody. And we'll see you next week. I'll keep the change. I'm Bart Nolenberger, and you've been listening to Keep the Change. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating and a review and share your favorite part of this episode by messaging me on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining me.